This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Welcome to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside Kindra D. St. Alban, will dissect the Vancouver Whitecaps loss over the course of the first segment of the show before talking about Minnesota United's next opponents and the penultimate game of the regular season, Sporting Kansas City. First, though, Kindra, um, let's talk about Vancouver, shall we? Um, <laughs> with the way the season is, with, with the context of everything and this wild Western Conference, Everybody knew coming into this game that that it was so important to get something. Minnesota didn't get something. Before we sort of dive into it deeply, what were your overall takeaways and your assessments of the game? Well, I think, you know, it was a little bit the tale of two halves in the sense that I felt like Minnesota had some some opportunities and some chances in the first half. I didn't think that... Um, they looked maybe as crisp or as sharp as what I'm used to seeing the team when they're fully in form and when they have all the guys that they want on the pitch and everybody's healthy and ready and available. And of course, you know, Chase Casper was the only one missing, but Hassani Dotson slides into that role. So they maybe weren't as free flowing and as, as sharp as I I'm used to seeing with that group on the field. But, um, I mean, the, the goal before halftime was a bit of a punch in the gut. And I talked to a, a couple guys at training and, and Michael Boxall echoed the same thing. Will Trapp said the same thing. You know, Adrian Heath obviously said the same thing because my point in asking them was now that you've had a couple of days to kind of think about it, because right after the game, it's always tough when you're like right in that moment, you've just wrapped up the 90 minutes in a game where, you know, you essentially needed the three points. Um, you've had a couple of days to think about it now. And what did you take from the game? And um to me, it was a little bit disappointing because it just didn't feel like the same sense of urgency or, you know, I don't want to use the word passion necessarily because I'm not trying to take away anything from these guys as professionals, as athletes, as competitors, as, you know, and we've seen them, you know, day in and day out and train in difficult moments and when they're tired and international duty and this and that and wanting to fight back from injuries and so I don't want to take anything away from them as, as individuals or as a team. But in that moment, it just didn't feel like it had the same sense of urgency that it needed considering the scenario that they're in, that they were you know, on the road. Yes. But against a team that was fighting to get in, you're trying to stay in. Um, so it just felt a little discombobulated and disjointed and maybe not quite the same uh, gosh, what's the right word? I mean, it, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to take anything away from the guys, but it just didn't feel like it, it, it like it had the sense of urgency that it needed in this moment at this time um, to all tactical things aside. And of course, there's there's still lacking goal scoring. I mean, that's that's not that's not a shocker. That's I mean, that's something we've discussed. Right. And that that they need to finish those chances. But how quickly, even in the second half, you can go from Audrey and New hitting the post to the other way, Vancouver scoring their second. You know, just things like that. That's the funny game of soccer. So um, disappointing um, knowing that that they needed this game, that they needed at least a point, and a loss was really going to be unacceptable. That's kind of how I felt even a, a couple days later. Yeah, uh, I said it on Twitter the morning after. Um, wanted to put something out that night, but I just kind of thought, let's just let things settle. Um 
And because there was a lot of irritated people for sure, and they have every right to be irritated because it was a poor showing. But um, I, I agree, and, and I thought from the get-go, I thought the first half was fine. I had no problem with the first half whatsoever. They created chances. Um, I, I agree with you in the sense that perhaps not as uh, as clinical as, as you would want them to be. Um, and, and there was something missing. There wasn't perhaps as much emphasis behind certain attacking plays um, that you would want. But I, I thought it was fine. I thought the opening 45 minutes... Um, if it would have stayed at nil-nil, if I'm Adrian Heath, I'm sent to the players, just keep going. Just keep going because we're creating chances. Something will fall our way. And something did fall their way in the second half and Unu was unlucky to hit the post. Um, but for, for me, the major, the major issue was that, again, they're not able to hit the target. They're not able to put the chances away. Um, and it's, it's, it's no um, new conversation that we're having here. We're not exactly being encyclopedic. It's, it's the same old story every single week with this team um, at this uh, part of the season. And um, it's been an issue for, for several years now. They've just not had a natural goal scorer. Um, and I get the feeling, you know, when you look at Reynoso's numbers and he's got um, 10 assists on, on the season, I get the feeling if there was a, a natural goal scorer ahead of him, he may very well have hit 20 assists this year. Doesn't um, it seem weird too, though? Like when he was shooting the ball in that match, like it's rare for him to miss that many chances by that much. And I don't and think Reynoso is a natural goal scorer, though. I, I don't think so either. But I'm saying, but he normally is accurate. You know, just like if he was taking mm. a set piece or something. I get it, and I'm not expecting him to be the goal scorer. I, I get that. That's not his sole. That's not his main priority and responsibility I don't think I think it's to provide goals it's to be the creator it's to unbalance the defense it's all those things but we have seen him put in high pressure situations in the run of play when he gets a a, a bit of space he has been able to put things on frame and mm. it was weird to me that he was just missing as many opportunities as he was by so much to not even test the goalkeeper, to force a rebound, to force a deflection. And they had a number of corner kicks in the first half. So it wasn't like there weren't even opportunities on set pieces. So I'm not putting this on Reynoso's shoulders by any means. And I think we all understand. And, you know, even Michael Boxel said today, like, they've got to be better in the final third of the field, you know, and this is coming from your center back, you know, a, a captain at times who, you know, is the first one to hold his hand up and admit he made a mistake. And he and he took full blame for the own goal for, you know, apparently Tyler Miller must have called him off or maybe yelled something. I don't know. But he took full responsibility for it. But then he's also saying we need to be better in the attacking third of the field. And that's been a discussion for them. And that will relieve some of the pressure that they feel defensively that you can't even make a mistake. You can't let one goal in or you might not find a way to win this game. So I was just a little surprised back to the clinical perspective that it wasn't a little bit more on target from the finishing from Emmanuel Reynoso. And I get it. That's not his main, his main job, but when he does have a window of space and a shot that doesn't get blocked, it's rare that it doesn't find the goal in some way, shape or form or miss nearly wide or something like that. Just like Robin had a first chance in the, in the, had a chance in the first half that I think is a rare uh, miss for him. Yeah. But look, ultimately, it, opening 45 minutes, I thought was fine. Um, they created chances. They had opportunities for sure. Um, and the main issue is, is that they just don't have somebody to regularly stick the ball in the back of the net. And, and that's been a problem for them for a long time. I think, as I said, if they had a natural goal scorer up front, no problem. And Minnesota, in my opinion, if they had that, they wouldn't be in the situation they find themselves in at the moment, which we will get to a little later on. Um, also, I think one thing that would have damaged the players psychologically as well is is 
is when they conceded that first goal as well. It's never ideal to concede just before half-time because it does it does change the complexity of the half-time team talk. It, it can change what the manager um, is thinking of, of saying. It can change how the players go in um, to the locker room at half-time. It can change how a player and a manager and a, and a staff feels psychologically. Um, and I think I, I felt as though the players went in at half-time um, with their heads down because psychologically uh, conceding a goal at that stage is never never going to help anybody. But also because of the lack of goals in this team as well, I think a lot of players probably thought, right, this is going to be an uphill battle because we haven't got enough goals in this team. Now we've got to go and find one just to equalise, but then we've got to go and get a second one as well. And um, scoring scoring goals um, at that level and, and that um, uh, magnitude rather um, in, in a consistent manner, to, manner that they need to, has, it's been a rarity this year. So I think a lot of players went in half-time thinking, right, this is going to be an uphill battle. Um, and it certainly was. And, and look, I think they were unlucky when they came out and they continued on in the same vein in the opening sort of 15 minutes of the second half. And I thought we're extremely unlucky when Unu hit the post because if that goes in, it's a completely different game then. And, and Minnesota United pick themselves up and they start to think, right, maybe there is another goal here for us somewhere. Um, in terms of we heard it, goals change games because it's absolutely true. Um, but they didn't. And then Vancouver went down the other end and scored. Um, the first goal for me is, is very preventable for sure. Um, Russell Tybert is is completely open, ha- has the keys to BC places that wide open, and, and he's clipped the ball forwards um, to find White, um, who, who happens to be one of the most informed centre-forwards in the league at the moment. And, and just when you're in that form, things bounce your way, and, and absolutely it did for him. And, and Michael Boxall, it's good to hear that he sort of put his hands up. I thought he was extremely unlucky, to be honest, but... Um, these things happen. I thought it was preventable, though. I, I don't think um, Russell Tybert should be given anywhere near that amount of space. Um, but approaching half-time, sometimes you, you, your mind not necessarily switches off as a player, but I'm sure it starts to wind down a little bit when you know half-time's approaching. But um, the, the second goal then was a real killer. It was a real gut punch then because I, I certainly got the feeling, I mean, we, we were several thousands of miles away calling the game off too, but I certainly got the sense, Kay, that a lot of people thought, right, well, that's that then. Yeah, and I think even the players um, showed a little bit of that. And, you know, Fernando Adi gets a goal late in the game. What was it, the 91st minute or something like that? But, um, you know, I, I just think it – I don't know. There was a weird dejected sort of feeling about it because I do think, as you said, the, the goal going into half is – um, a punch in the gut because I think they all felt like they probably deserved something from that first half. They they felt like they had the better possession. They were creating quality chances. There was options and opportunities in the attacking third. I thought Robin Lud stayed much farther wide right than I'm used to seeing him. And that I think was by design um, to not have him tuck in so much to try to test that back three and, and maybe force the outside back um, midfielder to kind of stay home. And so I didn't think he was as involved as I'm used to seeing. And then I thought at the start of the second half, he did become more involved. He kind of started, and maybe that was the message at halftime. Okay, join in, tuck inside, do your thing. Um, maybe that was the message. I don't know for Major Heath, but it did seem like uh, Robin was finding himself in more centralized position and, and cutting in and getting more involved, like we're used to kind of seeing when he when he's on the wing. Um, so I don't know that they started out as strong in the second half as maybe they would have liked, but then, as you said, the goal, I mean, 63rd minute, you know, and you're just feeling like, 
you know, this team, this team, Vancouver Whitecaps is in this sort of form right now where everything is going their way. They are playing incredibly inspired and energetic and, and loose. They're playing a bit loose to me because what do they have to lose and everything to gain in the position that they've basically been in for most of the season below the line. They make this coaching change. They acquire Ryan Gold. They have a Brian White who's in ridiculous form. And then Caicedo and Dahomey almost become sort of a luxury to have and to be able to rotate and come off the bench as a spark and give you a different look and all these kinds of things. Um, so, and, and Tybert even is kind of playing like a new, a new player under Vanny Sartini. He looks a little bit rejuvenated. So this is one of those things that the first goal bounces their way. The second goal, you know, goes against uh, what Minnesota would like to start the second half in the 63rd minute. And it was a little bit deflating because that's how, that's a tough hill to climb down two nil on the road um, and, and against a team that feels like they can do no wrong in this moment in the Vancouver Whitecaps. And it, it's unfortunate. I, I, I was a little shocked by some of the substitutions that were made, but again, you know, I'm not privy to the health of the players, what they're feeling on the, on the pitch, how they're, functioning, you know, what, what kind of knocks they've come in with, what, how they're looking at Sunday's game, but that, you know, Wednesday wasn't a throwaway at that point. Um, so, you know, I'm not privy to all that, but, um, it, it just felt like it just wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. And it just looked a little, de- they just looked a little dejected after that second goal went in, in my what, opinion. What, what surprised you about the substitutions then, Kay? Well, I don't think I would, I understand wanting to get Hassani in the middle of the field. And I mean, that's clearly where he's going to be more, um, he's going to be more useful to the group than in a left back role. So I don't have a problem with Rosales coming in in that left back role. He's shown he can do just fine there, um, you know, in those wide positions. And as a defensive player, I think he's smart enough on the ball to come in in that moment. So getting Hassani in the middle of the pitch. But I don't, I, I wouldn't have taken off Ozzy Alonso and Will Trapp. I thought there was a gap between the front attacking players and Will Trapp and Asani Dotson, but that was sort of just the nature of the way I think Vancouver was playing and they weren't closing those lines quick enough. So it felt like there was a little too much freedom for Tybert to work centrally and whoever else Vancouver was kind of mixing in there. So I would have, I, I thought that Will Trapp and Ozzy Alonso were doing just fine from a, a defensive, if they would have been able to play kind of in that 4-2-3-1, let's say, with the two and and then you find a different way to get Hassani push up higher on the field. I mean, maybe that's when you take Adrian Anu off and you, you know, and, and you put push Robin up top and you have Ethan, maybe Fragapane comes out. I mean, I don't know. I just think you needed more attacking bodies. So I don't have a problem with getting Hassani joined in, but I would not have taken Robin off. I think that even though he hadn't had his best game and his best night, he is the kind of guy we've talked about consistency. He only needs one half chance. 99% of the time to put something away. And he was just getting more involved in the attack in that moment and, um, and, and get subbed off. So uh, that that's what I would think. That's my, that's my perspective. It, it, you needed your attacking players on the field and maybe Fragapane needed a sub, which, you know, he's played a lot mm-hmm. of minutes. He's been one of the few players that has come off. So maybe he needed a switch, but maybe that's where you take, you know, you can put Hassani in an attacking position higher up the field. You take Franco up, you take and put Ethan on, you put Robin up high, you still have Reynoso. You have plenty of options then still from an attacking perspective to try to throw bodies forward and, and get something from that game. The, the question now is what do they do approaching this game against Sporting Kansas City? Because we entered the game saying, right, okay, 
unbeaten in three. But now, after a tie at home to LAFC, a loss away to Vancouver Whitecaps, who are the team in form heading into the postseason, no doubt. All of a sudden, those nerves are starting to jangle once again, Kendra. Yeah, and I think, you know, I talked to Will Trapp today, and he said, we've been saying for a while now, must-win game. Now, this is mathematically, legitimately a must-win game. And, you know, unfortunately, they have put themselves in this position. We always knew this game was going to be critical. We always knew it was going to come down to a near-the-wire with, you know, uh, whether it was the LA Galaxy game on Decision Day or Sporting Kansas City in as far as what that game was going to mean. But now this is legitimately a must-win game for them to stay in this thing. I, I It's like they control their destiny, but they don't. You have a Sporting Kansas City team that's sitting in first place in the West, and they're not going to give that up. They don't want to give that up to Seattle. That is bragging rights. I think there's a thing, you know, between those two kind of clubs that are perennially at or near the top of the Western Conference that – Seattle's held on to it most of the year. They are PO'd that they have now dropped into second place at this point in the season. So Casey is not going to come down, come here and lay down and die. And Minnesota has got to win this game. And unfortunately, I feel a little bit that it's, you know, been a little bit of a roller coaster with Minnesota United on the season where you don't have that consistency. And that is what great teams do. And it doesn't mean they can't find it. But when you're kind of going in every night going, okay, like which, which team is going to show up? Is it going to be the 3-0 beat LA Galaxy look amazing in the attacking third kind of a team? Is it going to be, and that was a home game. Is it going to be the team that loses three to one at home against Colorado up a man? Is it going to be, you know, you shouldn't always need this kick in the butt to get back into gear. And, and that's kind of how it's felt a little bit. So they need to 100% bring it on Sunday they should have everybody available. I don't know based on, on training today. You know, it was kind of a late day for the guys that played a lot of minutes. Um, so there shouldn't be any reason, any excuse with your best players on the field at home to not get this three points against Sporting Kansas City. Yep. Um, and we'll have a talk about Sporting Kansas City and a game that is absolutely identified quite rightly so as must win for Minnesota United after the break. Minnesota United fans, save time every time when you use online check-in for a great haircut at Great Clips. Download our app or check in online at greatclips.com. Great Clips, it's going to be great. And a very warm welcome back in to the Match Preview podcast. Callum Williams, Kendra D. St. Orban with you here. Right, we've spoken about Vancouver Whitecaps and the disappointment for Minnesota United. Now on to the last two games of the season. Um, this is legitimately must-win for Minnesota, Kendra. We, you're right, as you said at the end of the last segments. We, we've said must-win for the course of, it feels like, the last sort of six or seven weeks. And, and purely in that sense, to keep pace with everybody around them. It's been must-win for everybody, um, not just Minnesota United, but the Galaxy have had several must-win games. LAFC, Vancouver, Kansas City, Seattle, everybody has had their own fair share of must-win games. But legitimately now, this is must-win for Minnesota because if they don't win, they have to rely on other teams to keep them in the postseason race. And that's a position, Kay, they don't want to be in. You know, and I'm going to try to I'm going to try to flip the script a little bit here because I feel like that whole first segment, I felt like Debbie Downer. 
And I just want to have like a little more positive outlook and energy about it because I don't think it was all bad against Vancouver. It's just that it stings, you know, when you, when you know that you have a possibility. And so now this is your possibility. This is your moment. If you're Minnesota United against 40 Kansas city on national television to come in and firmly plant your place, at least, you know, do your part to plant your place in the postseason because you started and four. Everybody was counting you out. Hey, let's look at the math. Who, who nobody makes it to the postseason after starting 0 and 4, even though there was 30 games left on this on the season. Nobody does it. They've climbed their way back in. They've spent a good majority of the season above the playoff line. We talked and talked about hosting a playoff game, even going into Vancouver, still a possibility because nobody in the West, aside from the top three, really want to c- grab onto it and yank it away from everybody else. Even in the fourth position, I believe it is it still Portland right now. That's in that fourth position so yeah so you've got Portland even in that fourth position that has tried their darndest to kind of give that away you know in the last few weeks so this is an opportunity for Minnesota to firmly supplant themselves and say this is who we are this is who we are this is the team that is going to go into the postseason with confidence feeling good about your your team which they have a phenomenal roster they do have some insanely quality players and they've got to find the goal scoring and they got to get hot at the right time so to me, it's about this Kansas City game. You do it here. You, you kind of put a beat down on, on Peter Vermees. You shock them a little bit if they think they're going to waltz in here. And then you have to go on the road and do it at LA Galaxy and hope you get some other results to go your way. So this is their opportunity to really step up. And by God, do not miss the playoffs for Ozzy Alonso. I mean, if, it, if there's like a thing that you want to do it for, we don't know how long Ozzy Alonso is going to play for. Mm. You know, and, and he's made it 12 straight years. This is a guy that like literally will not let you miss the playoffs. Um, and, and so like, let, if anything, do it for him because he's earned it at this point. It is absurdly tight in the Western Conference. I, I, I don't think I, in all my years covering Major League Soccer, I, I don't ever remember... Not not only because because the Eastern Conference is ridiculous as well, but I don't ever remember a playoff race being as tight as this particular one is at the moment. Um, Legitimately still right now, Portland Timbers on 49 points in fourth. Vancouver, who would have thought Vancouver would have been in the situation they're in right now? Fifth on 47. LA Galaxy, sixth on 46. Rail Salt Lake in seventh on 45. Minnesota, 8th on 45. LAFC, ninth with 44. It's just one of those situations where one win can legitimately turn everything around. One loss can legitimately um, screw up your, your plans moving into the next week. Um, Kansas City, as we sort of alluded to already, they're not done. They've qualified for the postseason, but that doesn't mean that they have no interest moving forward in the last three games for them, by the way. Um, because they they have a game in hand on, on those around them, which the Sounders will be irritated with, I'm sure. But both Kansas City and Seattle Sounders, 58 points. And of course, for those unaware, the, the top spot gets a bye. That's exactly what Sporting Kansas City wants. They'll absolutely have that in the back of their mind. Coming to Allianz Field this weekend, they're not going to sit back. Well, they may very well sit back and counter-press, but that's another talk for for another time, perhaps in in a couple of minutes. But um, they know exactly what they have to do coming to Allianz Field. They've got three games left, but that doesn't mean they don't want to come here and win. 
No, and, and I think it goes back to Peter Vermees and just the way he operates. And he's instilled that in, in this group from day one. And there is a swagger about Peter Vermees. There's a confidence, you know, borderline arrogance about him and rightfully so in what he's accomplished. Um, I, I, from the outward side looking in, it seems like Peter Vermees and, and Brian Schmetzer have very different personalities. The way they operate on the sideline, the kind of the way they do their interviews, um, but they find ways to be successful and get that drive out of their players. And there's a few things that, you know, you know, rubbed Kansas City the wrong way. And first of all, it's the playoff loss to Minnesota United last year. They haven't forgotten about that. Then they, you know, absolutely stomped Minnesota United um, as in Kansas City in their last game there. And they know that they want to finish in that top spot. There is a it's a. Um, it's going to be a battle of wills between Sporting Kansas City and Seattle to get that top spot. And and I think even if there wasn't a buy to be played for, they would just do it because that's just the nature of Peter Vermees. And he's not going to come here and rest anybody. He's not going to come here, as you said, and rightfully so. He may sit back a little bit deeper, but he also knows that Minnesota has got to be going for it. They've got to be. This is this is a must win scenario. So. The, any opportunity they're a counter-pressing team to begin with and then you throw on top of it that minnesota is going to be going for it and they're at home this like falls into the favor almost of peter vermees and what he would probably like to do from a game planning perspective um so this this western conference and i think we mentioned it the other day is it because they're playing mostly western conference is that why everything is so tight is that why the east is so tight the west is so tight you're not having as many cross, you know, conference games as, as we're uh, accustomed to in a season, but this whole season has been absolutely nuts. And let's not forget, as we're talking about who would have thought Vancouver would be sitting in fifth, not only did they fire their coach, they played away from home for the last 18 months until recently. Then they're playing in a BC place where I swear to goodness, I could hear a pin drop in there. And it was supposed to be, you know, the, the gates were supposed to be open for almost a full house, depending on the vaccinations and the COVID and the, all the, the protocols that are in place. And it was like, dead in there there was like no atmosphere until they got maybe a goal and even then it, it felt like minnesota had to manufacture their own energy and enthusiasm because you go from playing alliance to playing at that and it's like you know it, it's tough it's a tough task so i i think that somehow vancouver has found themselves in this position sporting kansas city sitting at the top of the west and minnesota at the worst possible moment finds himself in eighth and um you know, that 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 in and of itself for this team and this group and these players on this roster should just absolutely irk you and light a fire under your tush for the game on Sunday. And that's the thing as well, isn't it, Kay? I think everybody's approaching this game a little more nervous than before because Minnesota are on the outside looking in. I think if they were still seventh, maybe even a little higher, no doubt there'd still be a must-win mentality, but... Now, perhaps this is the maybe it's the reality check that they needed to say, right, look, we have to win these games because at the moment we're not making the playoffs. A hundred percent, because there were times before where they were sitting just above the line and we'd kind of ask the question, you know, but I felt like they they would kind of go, oh, whew, you know, everybody around us didn't do what they needed to do. So we've stayed above the line when they haven't gotten there, like even the draw against LAFC, for example, you know, I mean, maybe they could have felt a little better about that. Not better isn't the right word, but not as stressed about it because they, they didn't fall below the line. And then I even asked Michael Boxel today, I'm like, but does that, this is already a must win, but does the fact that you are at home and it's the last home game of the season and you are below the playoff, does that put more pressure on you at home? Is this, 
You know, I know you're a professional. I know you've been doing this a long time. You've played in really big games, but does that put more pressure on you or is it just the next game? And he was like, well, not really. I think we'd approach it the same if it was game one or if it was game 34. And I'm kind of going, come on, come on. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's saying the right things, but internally, I mean, can you imagine what that pregame speech is going to be like, whether whoever gives it, whether it's a player, whether it's a coach, I don't even know who does that. But well, it that has thing, to be perfect. <laughs> oh, it has to be perfect, but there's got to be an intense, a genuine intensity about it from someone that, you know, you always, everybody has somebody on their team that just can stoke that fire and say the right thing in the right moment with the right way of saying it. Cause sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I don't know who that's going to come from. I don't know whose responsibility that's going to be, but it's got to be perfect. And it needs to just get the guys jacked up. I mean, they'll already be pumping adrenaline wise, but this has got to be like the real deal. You got to score in like the first five minutes and not take the pedal off the metal and, and get this thing. Just Allianz field will just blow up. From a sporting Kansas City point of view, then, Kay, as we said, uh, just one loss in the last five. That that loss coming away to Vancouver, by the way, um, <laughs> who continue to climb the table um, in erratic and, and glorious fashion. Um, but we said Kansas City have got three games remaining, uh, away to Minnesota, away to Austin, home to Rail Salt Lake. So Kansas City, whilst potentially causing Minnesota a problem this weekend, could indeed do them a favour on the final day of the season at home to Rail Salt Lake. You would assume, Kay, away to Austin, midweek for them uh, next week. They probably rest a couple of bodies, with all due respect, Austin out of the playoff contention. Um, Kansas City, you would assume, last day of the season would still be going for that that bye uh, and the top spot in the Western Conference. So what do we expect Kansas City to do at Minnesota? How do we expect them to approach the game at Allianz Field? Well, I think, you know, as you were just alluding to, I, I do think that they're kind of, a, they don't, they're not a sit-back counter-pressing team. Uh, at home or, you know, under most, they're always a counter pressing team. They are a quick transition team. They will find that outlet. You've seen Graham Zussi ping the ball right to left, you know, find it, pick, pick out the pass. I mean, Johnny Russell has been, if Daniel Shallowy wasn't having the season that he was having, would we be talking about Johnny Russell more in the form that he's in, you know, just by his willingness to, um, at certain times, kind of take a back seat almost to some of these other big names that have come in and, and draw the attention in, in a Gotti Kinda, in an Alan Polito, Daniel Shallowy lighting the world on fire. But Johnny Russell, I believe it scored in what, eight straight games now. Um, he had two goals the other night. You know what he's going to do and he can still do it. He can get on that right-hand side and cut it in and still find a way. He gets under the opposition's skin. And I think Chase Gasper had his hand has will have his hands full. I believe it was DJ Taylor that played on that side, maybe in the last game at Kansas city. I'm trying to remember, but I thought that, you know, Johnny Russell had a bit of a field day with him. Um, and, and he can just get under your skin. You know, he's, he has a way of knowing when he needs to go down under contact, when to plow through the tackles. Um, and he's scoring goals on top of it. Daniel Shalloway hasn't been as hot as of late. So I would expect that quick outlet pass in transition. I don't think they'll rest any guys for this match. I think they'll go for it. Um, and maybe depending on what the game is looking like in the 60th minute or something, they'll make, they'll make some changes, but, um, Tim Mealy will be back in goal, to my knowledge. I know he was suspended for the last match, but uh, this is a, this is a situation for Peter Vermees that he wants to go in to the postseason with a certain level of form, a certain level of confidence, a certain level of consistency. So if he's going to rest anybody, it's going to be in that Austin game, all to play for at home against Minnesota. You want to? He one hundred percent wants to play spoiler. 
And he'll try to take points away from anybody anywhere he can and try to keep, you know, a, another team out of the playoffs if possible and earn the number one spot in the meantime. So that, that would be my, my thought process. Um, I, I think that, uh, who did they go with the last game? Was it Kyrie Shelton that played that started up top in, in their last match? So he's another dangerous attacking player. They can kind of pick their poison from an attacking perspective and, and how they want to play and who they want to throw up there. So knowing the situation, knowing that Minnesota United more than likely do need to win this game, um, what does Adrian Heath do? How does he get the better of, of a sporting Kansas City team that, that they have beaten before, they know how to beat, but Kansas City have got eight road wins this season, Kay. They're more than comfortable playing on the road. So do perhaps we see for the first time Adrian Heath saying, right, let's be a little more reserved. And perhaps we counter-press because there are gaps there to be exploited when Kansas City manoeuvre forward, much like Adrian's system in the sense that the fullbacks do push. Is that the best way to get the better of them? I think you can on the left-hand side for them, um, Martins. I think he's a little bit more, I think he pushes higher even than Graham Zussi sometimes. I think um, if he if he's the one who's going to be in at left back, I think he has a tendency to get too far forward or maybe be a little bit slower coming back. I don't think Shallowy really covers and, and tracks back and finds that. And then, you know, when you look at the the holding midfielder, whoever it might be, and now that you have Elias Sanchez in the center of the defense, you know, he, that was always their guy that would kind of stay home and read the game and know when, like, if somebody else is pushing on, I'm going to stay home. Kind of like you see Ozzy do or will do. Um, and, and so I do think there's absolutely an opportunity for Minnesota's right-hand side to take advantage of Martins being out of position. And if they're going to push on and, and try to counter press, then when you get the ball quickly, and we even saw this in Vancouver, when you win the ball back, in certain areas, you, that first pass out is so important. And is it going to be a stretch pass that really, you know, takes advantage of that space that's been vacated? Or even if you go inside to Emmanuel Reynoso and then you go back outside in behind, you, you know, so if it's Robin Lloyd on the right-hand side, let's say, but that's where you need to take advantage of those moments for Sporting Kansas City is take advantage. But it's got to be quick. It's got to be quicker. Vancouver was a little bit slow for me, the ball movement, because they did the same as well. And they had the three backs. And you're thinking, OK, from an attacking perspective, we should be able to really capitalize on this and, and, and take advantage of the three in the back for Vancouver. But somehow Minnesota couldn't quite capitalize on those moments. So I think it'd be more dangerous up the right hand side than on the other side. I think Graham Zussi. He's had a few mistakes here and there this year. I think he's starting to show his age a little bit, but he's also pretty smart in, in where he commits fouls and what he tries to do um, when he pushes on. He's more of a long ball, like from a distance, you know, service. Whereas on the left-hand side, I think Martins gets a lot deeper before he picks out his service in, in his pass. So that's where you can get him on the counter on that backside. Yeah, it'll what be absolutely think? intriguing. Yeah, look, I mean, for, for me, I, I wonder... Do with do, I want to do Minnesota go with a four-three-three uh, in a certain sense, and I, I think they'll start in a four-two-three-one as they have done. But I, I wonder if they ask. Uh, let's assume it's Dotson and, and Trap. I'd be surprised if Alonso starts again. He's put a lot of miles on on the the thirty-five-year-old legs recently. Uh, but maybe he wants to start, and, and he's proven he can play an abundance of games over the the course of the weeks. Um, he, he's done that several times this season. But um, I wonder. Let, let's say, for example, it is Dotson. I wonder if if Kansas City go with their traditional 4-3-3 and let's just say they have um, either a Roger Espinosa or a Henry Valter just, just in that, that holding role as a singular six. You can get either side of that six by having two 
a natural number 10 and then somewhat of a, a 10 and a half uh, in, in a, a player who's playing an eight role in a box-to-box um, situation. So maybe that's Asani Dotson because Jess Gasper returns. Mitanier will be on the right-hand side, you'd assume, as well. So maybe uh, that's an opportunity for them to get the ball either side of the singular six, whether it is with Reynolds, so whether it is with, uh, let's just say, Dotson again, I'm, I'm assuming he'll play in that eight role uh, with Trap holding. Um, I, I think there's a genuine opportunity there to to get the ball either side of that singular six and also test the the Sporting KC back line. Um, it, 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 can, it can cause problems. Um, and also the other thing as well, what I've noticed with Reynoso since we've had him, is he's brilliant at pulling players out of position as well. So do we see Reynoso perhaps pulling that six out, leaving more room for the likes of, again, let's assume, Hassani Dotson on the edge of the penalty area. We've, we've seen Dotson do well against Sporting Kansas City before. Um, in that, that central midfield role. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, will we see uh, more space for, again, let's assume it's Franco Fragapane and, and Robin Lodge um, manoeuvring inside because if Reynoso has dragged that six away, will those two tuck inside, dragging the fullbacks inside as well? So, um, look, it, it it's going to be um, a, a really, really interesting um I'm not going to say chess match because I find chess tedious, but um, (laughs) you get what I'm saying. It's going to be interesting to see the intricacies of of what happens off the ball in particular as well. So we'll we'll wait and see. Uh, Listen, before we go, um, I've got to ask you as well about the Eastern Conference because Mm. it's wild as well. By the way, we we were laughing, not not in a mean way the other day, but when we saw the the scoreline that that gave uh, Nashville... um, playoff um, solidity and, and got them into the postseason. Um, they were 2-0 down to FC Cincinnati and ended up winning 6-3. That's not... Uh, no need to adjust your audio set there. That's correct. 6-3, Nashville won at Cincinnati. Um, I can't help but feel sorry for the FC Cincinnati fans because they've waited and waited and waited and they've got this lovely new stadium. Now I think they're looking for their fifth manager in as many years that they've just got a new uh, GM, that their third GM... Um, coming in since, since they entered Major League Soccer and Chris Albright, that'll be good. I, I hope they, they find a manager of some sort with MLS experience. I think it's obvious that the foreign route they've gone hasn't worked now. But um, Nashville for me, though, Kate, okay. I mean, we, we all talk about Colorado being the surprise package of the West, no doubt. Are Nashville perhaps the surprise package of the entirety of the league this year? I think so. I mean, I, I, I kind of kept waiting for them to falter and it wasn't happening. So it, it felt like, you know, when Nashville came on the scene last season, they had a really good year, considering it's a first year for an expansion team. You know, everybody was dealing with 2020 and the wonkiness of it, and it's not really how you want to start your club in Major League Soccer. So then you didn't know what 2021 was going to be. Was it going to be some sort of weird, of you know, sophomore slump? But Gary Smith somehow has figured out to get a way to get certain things out of these players. And Hani Mukhtar has been really good for them. And then you have a leader like Walker Zimmerman on your back line. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watch all of Nashville's games because I don't. So I can't, I couldn't like sit here and break them down front to back, back to front, every single position and, and, and players that have come on. But from an overall standard, when they've needed to get a result, they've gotten it. Well, how many draws do they have? Some insane, I mean, 16 draws. So I don't know what to make of that. 
I think that would be my only question mark. And they're sitting in second in the East. So no qualms about that. I said on the broadcast the other night, I'm like, man, they don't want to limp into the postseason because they had just lost to Philly. They were losing to Cincinnati early. And you're thinking that's not how you want to go into the postseason. But I mean, I'd go into the postseason like that. You don't want to allow the two goals, but I think it was an own goal and a penalty. So it wasn't, you know, truly like this amazing buildup play by Cincinnati. I, I think that if I'm Nashville, you're feeling pretty good about what you've been able to accomplish this year. Sitting in second, I don't know what to make of the 16 draws. But if you've got a player like Hani Mukhtar who can score goals when you need goals, that is what can make the difference on a team. And that is what he has done for this club this year. Yeah, he's been wonderful. He really, really has been sensational, quite rightly so, in the running for the league MVP this year. Uh, hey, hey, I want to ask you, what do you what's uh what's your overall take on Bruce Arena? Well, I mean, he's he's obviously a soccer legend. He's but I mean uh, his quotes. Come on. I mean he, he, he is a, a he's wonderful from from our side of the business. He's it's a great quote, isn't he? So I thought his quotes today were were sensational. Um, and and what, what's interesting as well is what, what he said in the past as well about the supporter shield, saying he's not really too fussed about it because it's you know it's it's not really worth much. It, it's it's not particularly something he's been too bothered about because of of the way the league has been this year. Um, but the, the quote today was was about as honest as as you can be, which is quite refreshing actually from a journalistic and editorial standpoint. It which is quite one? honest. Which one? He's, he said, um, what a beep show I inherited. Oh, yeah, in 2019. Um, yeah, I, I thought that, what, what a tremendously refreshing comment that is, because everybody knew it, but he's come out and, and said it, and, and he's obviously, I mean, look, if anything, that quote is to, to insinuate how well he's done, and, and I get it, and, and I agree with um, with anybody who says he, he should be up for coach of the year because he's done a, a tremendous job, in my opinion. But he's also had some wonderful tools to work with as well. I mean, Carlos Hill, for me, probably more so in the conversation of, of MVP than Hanny Mukhtar, ju just about, um, because nobody thought the Revs were going to be where they are this year. Um, and and they, they, they've been wonderful. They, they have, uh, Buxer has has been okay. Um, I, I think um, Bo has, has been good as well. Uh, I'm not going to say they've been spectacular, but, he, he has a solidity about this team, does, does Bruce Arena. And um, I said it towards, when was it? It was towards the end of the playoffs, uh, or sorry, towards the start of the playoffs last season. I said, let's not sleep on the Rebs. Um, and eventually they got knocked out. But I wonder now with, with playoff experience again with a lot of the younger players, I wonder what they can do this year. You know, obviously they're going to finish first, they'll get the bye. Um, so it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens there. But, um, but before we go... Talking about the Eastern Conference, we've got to say uh, congratulations on a wonderful career to Federico Iguain, who announced his retirement uh, today at a press conference at Inter Miami. He said he's going to retire after the final game against New York City FC on, on Sunday. Um, what an addition he was to the league when he came into Columbus Crew all those years ago, Kay. Yeah, I mean, I think he was one of those players that when you hear that they're going to come to this league and you're hoping they're coming for the right reasons and all that. And I think that he was a pleasure to watch. He was a treat. And I think that... Again, anytime you can have a player of that caliber with that kind of pedigree and that kind of resume come into this league, it only elevates it. And I'm sure that he's not going out exactly as you would like um, with Inter Miami in, in the sense of the, how he's ending his career here. And I don't know what's next for him, but um, I think that uh, ultimately there's a certain think about some of the players that played alongside of him in 
MLS and against him. And I think that's what you, you really have to take a look at is what has he passed on to others? What has he contributed to the rosters, to the young players, even other older players to learn from a player like that? So, yeah, I mean, congrats to him. And, um, you know, the league will miss him. Um, it's, it's unfortunate we get, we didn't get to see him as much as, as we, you know, as we'd probably like being in Minnesota and an Eastern conference uh, team. But I think that he's one of those players that you have to tip your cap on an amazing career. And that's the beauty of this league though, and how it continues to grow and bring in some really talented players, um, from whether it's in the United States or whether it's overseas. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, talking of overseas and congratulations, uh, we have to say congratulations to Monterrey, the champions of the CONCACAF Champions League, beating Club America just about, by the way, uh, on uh, Thursday evening. Um, it was a, a wonderful watch and, and, again, a really good advertisement for the region once more. Uh, right, well, look, as always, Kendra, thanks very much. Uh, a big thanks to our producer, Tyson Hill, and, of course, uh, to you at home for listening as well. Oh, <laughs> it all comes down to Sunday. Big game, big game for Minnesota United. 12 o'clock kickoff against Sporting Kansas City. We'll see you then.